the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Derek Bukema, pastor of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, and I'm so glad that you've joined us today for Grounded and Growing in Christ here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Each weekday at this time, we open God's Word, exploring how it changes us and brings us closer to Him. Right now, we are in a message series called We Believe, focusing on the Gospel of John. All through this Gospel, John is driving us toward belief and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We hope and pray that as a result of this series, you will see new faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. To hear all of the messages in this series, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. And if you'd like to help provide financial support for this radio ministry, you can make a gift of any size at that same website, groundedandgrowingradio.com. If you're not already a part of a local church family, then I would like to invite you to visit us at Orland Park CRC this Sunday as we gather to worship the Lord and study His Word together. To find our service times and location information, just visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. And now, let's open God's Word to see what He has for us today. Would you turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 9? As he passed by, that's Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it's he. Others said, no, but he's like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and washed. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now, it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said, they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him? Since he has opened your eyes, he said, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? 
His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he's of age. Ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who'd been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he already open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into the world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you'd have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Amen. Would you bow your head with me in prayer? Let's approach God together. Heavenly Father, as we've already sung in this service. It was amazing grace that made it so that we who once lost were found, that we who once were blind can now see. We pray that within this this time where we hear this passage preached that you might give to us spiritual sight We pray that we might see each one of the characters here in this section of scripture, see how it is that they relate to Jesus, and see ourselves, and meet meet Jesus in this passage, so that we might have our own spiritual sight restored, so that we might be a a worshiper of Jesus, a worshiper of God. Lord, we, um, we thank you for your word, and we pray that you might speak powerfully in it now. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things that can enable us to read the Bible effectively is when we as Christians read ourselves, place ourselves into the story so that we can meet Jesus in the story. This is especially the case or maybe uh, uniquely easy to do when we're in the Gospels because the Gospels are the narrative about the life and death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And so if you're able to read yourself and find yourself in the story, you encounter Jesus in the story. I think that this is sort of the natural way that we read when we read stories. I started reading The Hobbit to my family a few weeks ago and this week 
I heard Elsie and Robbie playing, and they were on a search party with Bomber and Biffer and Feely and Keely and Oin and Gloin. And if you know the story, those are the names of some of the characters. I was amazed how many names they remembered and how they were going on a search along with all of these dwarves. Because when we hear good stories, we naturally are sort of absorbed into it. We find ourselves in it. We discover ourselves in the context of that story. And when we read gospel narratives, we should see ourselves in there so that we can meet Jesus there. Or, or let me put it in, a, in another sort of way. I know that sometimes when we read the Bible, we, you know, maybe devotionally, you're doing your, your sort of devotional reading and you read it and you think, well, how does this apply to my life? And that is a good question to ask. It's a good thing to think about. One of the things I want to encourage you as you're reading the Gospels is to be like, well, how do I apply my life to the Bible? How do I find myself in this narrative so that I might meet Jesus here and take up my cross and follow after him. And so this morning, I want to encourage us to find ourselves in the narrative and meet Jesus and see what he does. And so let's do that by talking about each one of the characters that we encounter in this story, the story of Jesus healing a blind man. And as we walk through the passage, I hope that we will see that every single character in this story has a certain kind of blindness that only Jesus can heal. That's every character other than Jesus. Of course, he is the one who sees as the Savior and Lord and God. Jesus is able to bring sight to the blind. He's able to bring sight to any one of the characters And as we see ourselves in this story, my prayer is that we will realize that we need Jesus to heal our own spiritual blindness. Because since Jesus is God, if you believe in him, you can see, you are forgiven, you are free. But if you reject him, you are blind. And that's what Jesus says to us at the end of the passage. You know, he's come to give sight to the blind but blindness to those who think that they can see. So there are many important characters in this story. Let's just talk briefly about each one of them. The disciples, the neighbors, the Pharisees, the parents, the man born blind, and Jesus. That's right, it's a six-point sermon. One of the praise team members said that he's guessing 90 minutes or more in the service today. Let's see if we can prove... uh, him wrong. I think it's going to be briefer than that. So six different characters that we encounter in the story here. First, the disciples. The disciples ask at the very beginning of the passage, they ask who sinned that this man was born blind. They want to pin his blindness on a specific act of sin. You could call this victim blaming. They want to speculate that he's done something wrong that has merited him this punishment. Now, at this particular time within Judaism, there was a belief that if someone had a physical defect or a physical disability, it was because their parents sinned or they sinned. They said that it could have been that when this child was in the womb, either the child sinned in the womb or the child's mother sinned while carrying this child, and that was the reason for their disability. And it seems like the disciples are uh, sort of wrapped up in this, and they ask, all right, so who was the one who sinned? Was it his mom when he was in the womb? Was it him when he was in the womb that he was born blind? Because that is how you get to this place, and Jesus demonstrates to them that this is nonsense. He cuts off that discussion immediately. There's nothing more inherently sinful about this man than the disciples. There's nothing more 
inherently sinful about this man's parents than the disciples. We live in a world that is stained with sin. If there had been no fall, there would be no natural brokenness. But it's not appropriate to ascribe sin as the cause of different natural brokenness. It's not appropriate to say, ah, the reason that that family is undergoing this hardship is because of this specific sin. We're not God. We don't have his sovereignty or level of insight. And so it's not appropriate to make those sorts of connections. Instead, Jesus says that this is to display the power of God. The reason that this man was born blind was so that God might demonstrate his power. And whatever disability or difficulty you might be facing, God is able to demonstrate his power in it. That doesn't mean necessarily that he'll heal it. It doesn't mean that he'll give you the physical healing that you might desire in every situation, but he is able to demonstrate his power in it. I have a friend who's been having substantial pain related to some dental issues. And pain that can exist if there's something wrong with your mouth can be all-encompassing. We use it all the time. And so if there is mouth pain, it can be seriously debilitating. And he told me as I talked to him this week, he said, I have been asking God why so much as I've been dealing with this pain. He said, and then I read the story of, of Jacob who had a dream and said, God was here and I did not know it. Surely God was here and I did not know it. He said, so I've started asking instead. I've started praying instead. God, help me to realize that you're here in the midst of this pain and I just did not know it. Help me to experience your power in the midst of this pain. Let me know you are here too. Let me see your power at work in this too. You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukema. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs, and to give a gift to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. And while you're there, please sign up to download your free copy of the ebook, Answering Seven Hard Questions That Christians Ask. Again, that's groundedandgrowingradio.com. And now, more from Pastor Derek in our series called We Believe, focusing on the Gospel of John. We pray that as a result of this series, you will see new faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. The second character that we meet are the neighbors. And I think that the neighbors are actually the funniest part of this story because they seem to do something that is patently absurd. The neighbors show us sort of the natural response to the work of Jesus. A natural response to the work of Jesus is disbelief or unbelief, and it's kind of ridiculous. Some of the neighbors are like, is this that blind man that we saw begging? And other people are like, no, it's somebody else. It looks exactly like him wearing the exact same clothes as him, but I'm confident it's somebody else because this person sees. This person's not blind. This person sees. That is absurd. He's in the same place, looking exactly the same, talking exactly the same, wearing the same clothes, but he can see, must be somebody totally different. Must be somebody that just has an, un, it, I, we found his doppelganger, that's what happened. We found this man's doppelganger because he sees. But th- this is the natural tendency because they have a hard time believing that someone who was blind could ever receive their sight. 
the neighbors are blind to the power of God. And so they don't believe that this could possibly be the same person. In Acts chapter 9, the apostles are at first reticent. They're hesitant to meet with Saul. And that makes sense, doesn't it? Acts chapter 9 tells us the story of the conversion of Saul. And in the earlier part of Acts, we know that Saul was the one who was leading the great persecution of the Christians in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. And so when he asks to meet with all the leaders of the church, this one who had been putting to death leaders of the church, it sounds exactly like a trap, doesn't it? Saul wants to meet with all the leaders of the church of Jerusalem, and they are nervous to meet with him, all of them except for Barnabas, who says, let's meet with this man. And all of the apostles agree. And it's an act of stunning faith and beautiful faith to recognize that Jesus has the power to give sight to those who were blind, to make alive those who were dead, to make one of his children, one of his evangelists, even those who were persecuting the church, they realize that this is the power that Jesus has. And so they meet with him. And so you might look at people or situations that need to change. You might look at people or situations that need healing. You might especially look at those who have wronged you or harmed you as a result of this, their disbelief. And you might be tempted to assume that God has no power to heal or restore or save. Let me tell you this morning that God's arm is not short, to use biblical language. He's mighty to save. He can give sight to the blind, life to the dead, and freedom and salvation to all who are enslaved to sin. So don't assume that God can't heal, that God can't restore, that God can't repair. Because the power of Jesus knows no bounds. And if you see somebody that has had that level of transformation... Don't be like the neighbors. That must be somebody else. It must be their doppelganger. I think we found the doppelganger. No, Jesus can do that. Jesus can do that. Then we see the Pharisees. The Pharisees in this section of scripture show us the response of rule followers to the work of God. You could say this is the response of the religious but not spiritual. Jesus throughout the gospel of John does signs to demonstrate his nature and identity. He does it to show people, to show those who were living then, to show us who are reading of this now, to show people who he is so that we might believe. That's why John especially demonstrates the healing that Jesus does as signs to demonstrate his divinity. And that's what's happening here. If there is somebody who is born blind... This is a part of who they are. It is only somebody with the power to recreate the power of God who is able to give sight when there was blindness. And so this healing is supposed to demonstrate who Jesus is. And the Pharisees won't accept it. They won't receive it. And they try to find all manner of ways to disbelieve Jesus despite the miracle that he's just done. They want to figure out ways to demonstrate that they still are the people in the right and they don't need to pay attention to the nature of this miracle because Jesus must be a sinner and therefore somebody that they should not pay attention to. Every sign demonstrates that Jesus is truly God, but they say he's a sinner. 
They repeat it over and over again. This man is a sinner. They're like, actually, this miraculous healing demonstrates the fact that he's a sinner because in case you didn't notice, blind man, it's the Sabbath. You're not supposed to be healing people on the Sabbath. We're children, they say. We're disciples, they say, of Moses. I don't know who this Jesus is a disciple of. In John chapter 8, the Pharisees have been doing all sorts of work to say, hey, we are children of Abraham, this Jesus, we're not even sure who he is a child of. He's probably a demon-possessed Samaritan. They're trying to demonstrate their credentials to try to discredit Jesus. Now, as Jesus heals on the Sabbath, they say, we are disciples of Moses. But because he's breaking the Sabbath through his healing, that shows that he is a disciple of someone that's not trustworthy, that's for sure. And they miss, they miss his nature because they are rule followers. My goodness, this is a, this is a challenging one, isn't it? Because, you know, we, we tend to read the Gospels and think, all right, these are the bad ones, the Pharisees, because they're the ones that are constantly rejecting Jesus. But that's not the way that John's readers would have received this. So the Pharisees, they were the good ones. They were the good ones. They really were the descendants of Abraham. They really were the disciples of Moses. They really were the rule followers and keepers. And they were allowing all this good stuff to obstruct their vision so that they can't see or understand who Jesus is. If anything, it doesn't matter how good it is, it obstructs our view and keeps us from seeing and worshiping Jesus. That thing is not neutral. That thing is a demon. That's what idolatry is, to take something and to place it alongside of or above Jesus. And it will warp you if you're unwilling to see who God is. And so these children of Moses claim to see, but they don't. That's the very end of the chapter. And they are annoyed that Jesus keeps poking them on this. He said, so I've come so that I might heal those who are blind. But those who are see, those who can see, I'm, gonna, I'm going to give to them blindness. And they're like, are you talking about us, Jesus? He's like, yeah. Yeah, because you claim to be the ones who have spiritual insight here, but yet you're totally missing me. You know, there are all sorts of ways that you and I will be tempted to justify ourselves. The Pharisees here demonstrate one of them, to be a rule follower and to think that means that's enough. I'm a rule follower. I follow all of the right rules. I follow all the right procedures. I follow all the right processes. How dare you confront me? Sometimes it's, you know, I know all the right jargon. I know all the right people. I do all the right things. I had a pastor in college who said some people, you know, some people say that they're justified through rule following alone. Some people say they're justified through their conference attending alone. Some people it's salvation by recycling alone. But whatever it is, if it's something that directs your attention away from Jesus and the grace that's found in Christ Jesus alone, it is deficient. It's not enough. Not jargon alone, not rules alone, not recycling alone. Not being a disciple of Moses alone, but faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone. So I don't know if this is you, if your blindness is to Jesus' nature because there's something else that's distracting you, but what you need is Jesus to give you sight. The next characters that we meet are his parents, are the parents of the blind man. They're afraid. They don't see the authority of God. They can't see it. And so they're afraid of human authorities instead. 
They don't see the one who is actually in control, so they can only see those who are temporarily in control of the synagogue. They don't want to be booted out of it. They don't want to be separated from the social or religious life of Jerusalem, and so they are nervous to give a straight or clear answer to the Pharisees as they are being interrogated. I'm really grateful that John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tells us that their motivation. You could guess it by the fact that they are you know, answering around the question. They're like, why don't you just talk to our son instead? He's of age. Talk to him. Instead, the Holy Spirit's like, they said all of this because they were afraid. They didn't want to get put out of the synagogue. They can't see the one who is really in control. And so they are afraid. Fear is a, a pretty fundamental f- feeling that I know uh, many of us feel or struggle with or struggle against. That's definitely me. As I read the story, I I see myself being these parents and just trying to avoid clear, direct answers because I don't want conflict. Earlier this week, Dua Lipa was on Stephen Colbert's show and she decided that she was going to interview him. She said, a lot of people are interested in your faith and how it impacts your comedy. She asked, what would win out ultimately, comedy or faith? And Stephen Colbert responded in this way. He said, ultimately, us all being mortal, the faith will win out in the end, is what he said. And then as he followed up, he said, death, he said, one of the things that I believe as a Christian is that death is not defeat. And he said, when you can laugh at something, you don't fear it. And not fearing it keeps you from turning to evil devices to save you from the sadness. You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukema. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs, and to give a gift to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. And while you're there, please sign up to download your free copy of the ebook Answering Seven Hard Questions That Christians Ask. Again, that's groundedandgrowingradio.com. This is Pastor Derek Bukema, and on behalf of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, we want to thank you for your support and partnership in proclaiming the gospel here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. If you're looking for a local church to call home, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday. You can find all the details online at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, may God bless you. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here in america they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it i was like i'm not changing it they had to get rid of flynn with in-depth interviews archival footage and never before seen personal records of the man behind the headlines i just felt like i was drowning flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost available now watch it today go to salemnow.com salemnow.com